Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here with Andy and Steve. Good to be here. Hello. And we are, I don't know, personally, I'm kind of celebrating the new health orders in BC. It sounds like things are going to be opening up uh, by September almost fully. Oh, really? I've never been more excited to have five people in my house, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. We are waiting for an announcement from the government in about an hour's time as of this recording so we'll see we'll see what we say over here on our end but uh yeah i can't wait for everything to open up so i can actually get together and spend time with people yeah all right hey we got an interesting show troy you uh you were talking to me the other day and said man uh, have you seen this movie soul by Mm. disney by pixar and i had not now my kids had been asking me dad can we watch this this movie and I don't know why. I don't know why, but there's just a part of me that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that I want to watch it. Right. But then I was talking to you, and you said, man, it's actually really good. And I've heard from some other people saying, hey, it's pretty thought-provoking. So I said to my boys, let's do it. Let's watch it. Actually, to be fair, one of my children wanted to watch it. The other one didn't. So that kind of – if they both would have wanted to, that would have been – you know, I've been like all for it. But because right. it was split, I don't <laughs> want to come across as this – this mean dad, like, I no, I'm not going to do it. No, at any rate. So they were split. So that's why I was like, ah, I don't know. So at any rate, I watched it, found it very interesting, mm-hmm. and really looking forward to the show today. Yeah. The, the movie Soul came out in 2020. The basic plot, for those of you who haven't seen it, is a jazz musician is stuck in a mediocre job, finally gets his big break. He gets an opportunity to be in a gig of a lifetime that's, that's supposed to change his life. However, in his celebrating, while he's walking, a wrong turn happens, and it ends up taking him to, in the movie, what they call First the Great Beyond. But then, through a series of events, he ends up in The Great Before. And this is where he tries to help an infant soul, a soul who has not yet come to Earth and essentially been born as a baby, um, helps that infant soul return to reality so that he can get back to his body and it has won a lot of awards like um just off the top the main ones academy award it won a bafta award for best animated film um won a golden globe for best animated feature jamie fox the the main voice he won i believe he won an oscar for voicing uh, the main character so it's it's done really really well and like like andy was saying it is incredibly thought-provoking now, there's a couple other characters in here, uh, Troy, right? So we got the lead character, which is Joe Gardner, which, by the way, Mr. Gardner is like the classic teacher name. And, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, that's what Joe is. He's a teacher. And then you've got this character called 22 mm-hmm. that, uh, that we need to kind of put into this kind of framework. So I want you guys want to kind of give us a bit of a plot. Like, where, where do we go? From he he goes to the great beyond and then not wanting to die, not wanting to go into the great beyond, he he falls off the conveyor belt, right? And he descends yeah. into the great before, which he's afraid is H E double hockey sticks. Yes. Mm-hmm. But is not hell. It is this place where souls are born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now now lay out lay out the the the, the plot for us, because there's a lot of philosophy that goes in. This is a very philosophical movie. It is, it is. Yeah, so in the great before, basically, well, let, let's put it this way. So 
Oh, can we just say this real quick? Sorry, Steve, before you mm-hmm. go, I, I think there's some people that are listening to this going, oh man, is this like a spoiler alert coming? Yeah. Like, do yeah. I need to have watched this movie? I, I would. I think you guys would agree. There's no spoiler alert going on here. Not no. really. Listen, listen, the guy dies. It's in the trailer. Okay, yeah. so and it, we're dealing with souls here. Uh, if anything, I'd actually say what we're going to talk about is actually a great way to 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 have some information to go into the movie with. I think you actually get more out of it. Yeah. And it came out a year ago. So if we're spoiling it for you, that's your fault. You're late. Yeah. <laughs> that's on you. That's on you. We waited long enough. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and with that caveat then, um, I mean, you start off with Joe Gartner, which by the way, I... I find it interesting that his name is Gardner. That's a really good name for a teacher, right? Because in a sense, you're cultivating your students. I wonder if that's uh, that was intentional to name him Gardner. But anyway, uh, he's a jazz musician. His first love is always to play music full time, and but he's kind of stuck teaching a middle school band. Um, but he finally gets a big break. He gets to play with. Dorothea Williams, who is this big-time sax player, uh, he gets this gig because of an acquaintance of his, but on his way to the gig, he ends up falling through the manhole, and he dies. And then he finds himself on this conveyor belt going to this great beyond, which looks like this massive white sun kind of thing, and he somehow gets off of that be- conveyor belt, goes to what he thinks is hell, but it actually is the great before where there are all mm-hmm. these souls that are just basically being formed when we can talk about this before they actually enter a body somewhere on earth. Right. And the funny thing is the way it's set up is there are all these souls that have been sort of been there to earth already. They come and, kind of mentor these young souls that haven't been to earth yet and there is this one called 22 they don't have names they just have numbers right and this young soul named 22 who or old soul because 22 out of right said 22 that she's out been of, there for a very long time yeah for a very long time but that's right but young in the sense that she hasn't been to earth yet mm-hmm. um, but tip i mean what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to get all of your personalities right and then you're supposed to find what's called your spark right this is supposed to be your reason for existence or your meaning and purpose or whatever uh, and they go into that but anyway, that's that's where they, they meet and the story progresses from there. The key to the movie here, it, it, I, I would argue, guys, I would argue that the, the key to the movie is actually explained by Dorothea Williams when uh, Joe meets with her and, and he's going to get his first gig or whatever. They have this dialogue in which she tells him this story. And I think this story is really kind of the key to interpreting the movie. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, she says this, she says, I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the younger fish. This is water. What I want is the ocean. We might, sp- uh, and, and then ultimately... Uh, what you have is is this idea that here this you know fish is you know looking for the ocean, 
uh, but but they they can't see that they like that they're in it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just it's just water sort of idea, and and what you have is this i is 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 a very similar position that's happening, don't you, don't you guys? Where you've got yep. Joe, who's in life, and he's and he's in that similar thing. He's looking for the ocean. But but the ocean in, in this movie is life. He's looking for the purpose of life sort of thing. And and she's basically telling him, well, you're in it. You're, you're in it. You're, you're in life. It, it's really fascinating because if you noticed, right, like, I mean, he's a jazz musician. And, and I really kind of resonated with that because when I was going through high school, I remember after my dad passed away, that's when I thought, oh, I'm going to go into music. I wanted to go into jazz, actually. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to Capilano College, now university, in North Vancouver. They have a wonderful jazz studies program there. I was in it for about a year and a half before I dropped out because of health issues or whatever. But that tension was very much there in my family because my family, you know, you're straight up good, you know, Asian family that wants you to be a doctor, lawyer, a judge, or an engineer, or an accountant, right? And here's me saying, no, I want to be a full-time musician. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did not like that. And the <laughs> the challenge is always the same. It's like, how are you going to put food on the table? You, you see that yeah. dialogue between Joe and his mom, right? Yeah. And so I struck a compromise with my family saying, then, then I'll be a then I'll be a music teacher. How about that? Right? Because that's a little <laughs> bit more stable. So yeah. I, I, all of that was kind of coming back to me as I was watching this, which is which parallels well with the movie because Joe is a music teacher, but mm-hmm. he doesn't want to fully commit to that because he's yeah. got this desire to be, you know, playing gigs in a band. Now, guys, uh, now Troy, I know the music in this probably really connected with you as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, both you guys are 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 incredible musicians and then there's me uh, i i don't have a musical bone in my body uh i i am music blind boys uh but hey tell me though like was the music in this good it was, was complicated yeah it was it's incredibly complicated and super complex that's one of the things i love about jazz out of all of the genres and styles of music it's one of those things that's outside of pop culture that pop culture still wants to be a part of so bad. Like if you listen to a lot of, you listen to hip hop, you listen to R&B, you hear jazz influences, but only as samples. It's rare that someone gets on a record and actually does like jazz playing. They'll usually sample something, you know, on the old jazz classic or at least a jazz riff or something of that nature. But uh, yeah, what about, what about you, Steve? Well, you know, it's interesting when one thing that I love about music. So uh, for those of you who didn't know, uh, I'm a bass player by trade, but I also uh, play guitar on the side as well. And I'm very particular about this point because there is what they call the um, uh, the bass guitar syndrome. Usually what you have is in a rock band, you have three guitar players and a drummer and whoever can't play guitar plays bass right (laughs) out of the three um but i like to point out that i'm a bass player first and then uh, then i'm a guitar player but anyway what i love about music is it's it's a really interesting thing it's almost like when you're reading a book my daughter she's she's quite the avid reader right now and She's seven years old. She read through the entire Chronicles of Narnia. She's working her way through The Hobbit right now. And, wow. Um, and, and so she's quite the reader, but you can tell she's lost 
in the story, mm. right? And when I play music, I feel much the same way. There are so many things as I'm playing guitar or whatever, different emotions that can that I can uh, express through all of this. And it's almost like you, you take a step outside of reality and you're looking at it from outside in. Mm. And so when they're talking about the zone in the in soul in the movie i can really appreciate that it's almost like you're you're kind of step outside of so as a christian i look at the night go there is something divine about that right because in a sense i am touching on that transcendence not that i am transcendent but i am kind of wrapped up in it now it's almost like I, i just like god is in a sense right um, transcendent of time like i i kind of take after him a little bit you know following in his image as i create and i'm just like whoa right this is a different space that i'm in so i don't get that with music but where i interestingly do get that and i think each person gets this in different ways right where they get into their their zone if you will and time begins to just melt away i know it's weird but for me uh reading and writing particularly doctoral work it's gross, I know, but I can do 10 hours of doctoral work or whatever, mm. or writing a, like a high-level essay or whatever. Uh, and it, it's actually annoying for me because time just melts away. And before I know it, the day's over and, and I'm frustrated because I'm like, I needed more time. Like, yeah. you just want <laughs> you just want to live in that, right? And in that way, I, I totally uh, I totally get what you guys are saying. Uh, I want to want to move into the philosophy of what's going on here, though, with this movie, where you've got this guy Joe, and you've got character twenty two, that they end up falling to Earth, and they experience a body swap. And I want to get into philosophy in a moment here. But what we're going to do is kind of we're going to talk a little bit more about the plot. I want you to understand what they're doing with the plot. I think before we get too much into the plot, though, let's just take a moment to examine an area of tension with regards to the movie mm-hmm. that listeners probably aren't aware of. And that is that Tina Fey plays character 22 that body swaps with Joe when they come to Earth such that Joe becomes the Jamie Foxx. His voice now um, voices a cat mm-hmm. and Tina Fey this middle-aged white woman, and that's exactly how they refer to her voice in the in the movie. Uh, she voices uh, Joe, the character Joe. Now, has this like caused some some frustration in the black community? It it did, not not to me personally, <laughs> but it it definitely uh, was something that I saw, um, you know, coming across Twitter. That's kind of where I exist in the social media realm. But yeah, one of the conversations that people were having, I don't want to say in the peak of 2020, but it, it was still, it's become a conversation that is had more and more often. Um, some of it good, some of it, you know, is a reach. And in this scenario, people were, were voicing their concerns over the fact that Tina Fey, that the main portion of the movie is the voice of the black character. Now, and then, and, and then vice versa, Jamie Foxx, is in the cat like uh, like Andy was saying and you know guys one of the things that when I first looked at this story the thing that I celebrated was the fact that it was it is a black lead it wasn't showing him as just being this poor downtrodden ghetto or anything it was just someone who genuinely was trying to authentically chase his dreams celebrating the musical culture that he had come from and you know so when I see that tension a little bit 
I think it'd be weird for us to to go and focus on just that point, but not point out one of the things that she says. I just choose this voice. I could also do your voice if I wanted to. I just choose this voice because I know it annoys people. And that statement, even of itself, it's like middle-aged white woman in 2020, you're telling the, the public this voice annoys people. It, it almost plays off like she's a Karen. She's got yeah, the I was voice thinking of a Karen. That name. <laughs> right? Exactly. And and so for me, I'm like, okay, I get I can understand people's having something to say about it, but at the same time, let's be consistent. And so in this in this situation, yeah, it's a it's a tension, but it's like a weird tension that I think people are wanting. So in some ways, then it cuts both ways yeah. with what's going on here. On, on the one hand, you can see where, where people might be frustrated that you've got this white woman voicing a black man. But at the same time, they're, they're putting down this white woman as yeah. well. So it's like it's a lose-lose. Steve, but they're also celebrating the culture, right? Like the bar, like they're the barber. They go hang out in the, at the barbershop. They talk about that. And it's just like you can't brush over those things as if they're not being added to the story but go ahead steve yeah no i i thought it was really interesting that the genre of music that they chose is jazz right because uh, jazz actually played a huge role in racial reconciliation um because uh you know whether you're african-american or you're white or whatever they came together over their common love for this music. And so, you know, like, yeah, you have your Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, and these names, mm. but then you have others like, you know, Chet Baker and, and, and those guys, right? And so black musicians, white musicians, they, they come together. And it, in a lot of ways, jazz is a real symbol of racial reconciliation in many mm. ways. And I thought that was really interesting that they chose that genre on that note, by the way, Steve, given that this is within the context of jazz, it, it's interesting that Joe's character comes back as a cat. In jazz culture, you have the idea of a hep cat. And you can see that, that most likely they're kind of playing off of that yeah. jazz idea. And it gives them an interesting storytelling device in which Joe can watch his life being lived by somebody else that gives him the space to kind of critique himself Love as he's watching part. how somebody else would have lived his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that's a huge point of tension in the movie, especially between Joe and 22, because there's that whole part where 22 has taken on Joe's body but then later they go back to the grave before and they're having this argument right and uh joe ends up saying some really harsh things to 22 that ends up driving her to become a lost soul mm -hmm. for a time uh such hurtful things and one of the key things that he just kept uh leaning into is you know you found your love for life because of me because you were in my body and this you you stole my life and all those kinds of things now I want to circle back on that whole lost lost soul thing. We we will we'll get, we're going to come back to that. Bef before we do though, uh, you know, uh, Troy, you brought up the whole barber scene, and, yeah. and I want to I want to zoom back to that so that we can kind of jump back again into the the story of what 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 is the the story that's being communicated? What's the idea in the story that's being communicated? And I think you see it in the barbershop. Yeah, where where Joe's getting his hair cut by Dez. And here's a moment where Joe's watching 22 
live his life and doing things that, in fact, he never did, where he's actually getting to know his friend in a way, Des, that that Joe never did. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he gets to know is that Des, in fact, didn't want to be a barber. He wanted to be a veterinarian. Yeah. But he didn't become a veterinarian. He ended up becoming a barber. Now, I would say, guys, that this is the key to the movie again. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of circling back to the whole, you know, fish ocean thing that's happening. Yeah. Right. Where, uh, you know, we often, let me put it this way. We often talk about this idea of a soulmate and this idea of a soulmate can actually derail a lot of marriages Big time. because, right. Because they're in this marriage, but yet they're afraid to actually be married to this person or commit to this marriage because in the back of their mind, whenever there's an argument or a frustration, they have this nagging doubt that they've actually correctly identified their soulmate and that they're missing out and they're not experiencing, you know, the kind of marriage they were meant to experience. Yeah. In a similar vein, I think there's a lot of people that instead of a soulmate, they think that there's a soul career out there mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. they're potentially missing out on life, right? They're, and it's this like nagging doubt every day that they go to work that, oh man, have I have I missed my my purpose sort of thing? And and here I am a school teacher, right? But my real calling, my my soul career is to be playing jazz and and to get that gig and and I've I've finally made it, right? And here Joe then he dies as soon as he he thinks that he's on to it. Yeah. However, and let me just fast forward to the very end of the movie then. However, he finally gets his gig moment. And what's his response? This is, I thought I'd feel different. Mm-hmm. I, I, thought, yeah. I thought you've wanted something your whole life and you thought it would feel different. And I relate to that heavily because I remember one of my goals as an artist, like I, I, I always have like these checkpoint goals. And one of, my, one of my goals was to do a solo show in front of a, an audience of a thousand or more. That was my goal. I had done it as a group. Awesome. But I wanted to, it was a goal of mine to get booked for a show where I was going to be a headliner. And I remember it happened, got booked for the show, amazing uh, conference, amazing people, love them. They did nothing wrong. But I remember doing the show and I get off stage and my wife, she just looks at me and she was like, you're not disappointed, but what are you thinking about right now? And I just said to her, I was like, this was one of my goals. I wanted this so bad and it was fun, but I thought I'd feel different. I thought that, you know, I thought I would have like in the movie, a spark moment But I remember. Yeah. Just like, wow, this, this isn't all that. And the one moment for me where I was really excited was when one youth came up to me and he said, because of what your, your, your show and what you said, I chose to recommit my life to Jesus. And so I just want to thank you for sharing your music, sharing your heart, because it really changed the way I see God. And I know he loves me. And that for me was like, like that was the moment, not the thousands of people that were sitting there screaming your songs and lights and all that sort of stuff. So I resonated with that, like in a big, big way. Yeah. And and I'm very much the same. You know, what's interesting is after you do that for a while and you keep chasing that, it's almost like even as you're doing it, it feels a little hollow and it's almost like, oh, again, yeah. I think it's a point of that that touching 
that transcendence that I mentioned earlier, right? You're almost stepping outside of yourself, self, watching yourself do it, thinking, wow, this is pointless, right? So I, I've had that happen where, you know, as a bass player, my friends asked me to play in the band with them and I would do it and we would practice some cover songs and our originals and then we would bring some friends together rent a little theater and put on a concert you know lights go up people are cheering music's blaring great but at the end what it always comes down to it's that valley that we always talk about in the thinking series right the in the meaning of life session it's that valley where it's like you have to come down at some mm-hmm. point uh when joe says well i thought i'd feel different that's when dorothea tells that story about the fish in the ocean right yeah what's really interesting is earlier when you know, there's that scene where Joe, uh, or 22 in the body of Joe, gets that haircut by Dez. You learn that because of life circumstances, Dez decided to become a barber instead of a veterinarian. And when he's asked if he had any regrets or whatever, he's got absolutely nothing. He loves what he's doing. But then at the end, I thought it was really interesting. When uh, outside of the sh- barber shop, Joe and Dez are talking, uh, he says, Dez says, well, it was really nice, nice talking to you. Right, it was nice to talk about something other than jazz. Yeah, and that was the point at which Joe was living his life and actually connecting with Des, mm. and he wasn't just obsessed with jazz to fulfill him. Yeah. Now that's a great transition point, Steve, into a lost soul. So this is something that we talked about. This is something you see in the in the movie where you get people that become this lost soul. And I, I think that they've identified an important idea that actually does happen for a lot of people. That you mm. know, in the movie they show somebody who is looking for they have a metal detector and they're looking for something in the beach yeah. or whatever, right? And they just lose themselves into metal detecting where now they, they're not even living any longer, right? Because they're obsessed with finding treasure this is why when i was watching the movie there's obviously you know if i if i want to go deep theologically and all those sorts of things there's things that they just don't line up with scripture that's just obvious but disney did a really good job of not making the whole lost soul idea as much as they they made it seem supernatural it more or less seemed like an aha moment where they just woke up and i loved that imagery because to me the way it spoke to me was like that it, it was this renewing of your mind that gives you fresh eyes and fresh perspective. You know, you see the, the hedge fund manager, just a drone, and then it just takes something that's just like snaps and you're like, what am I doing? And you just go outside, you know? And I think the only thing I would have loved is that person waking up and having a fresh perspective that didn't mean they needed to leave what they were doing, but that the chains that had bound them to this droning lifestyle within their career would be broken. Because I think that's it. A lot of people think they need to just quit what they're doing and completely leave it. But I don't, I think what people need is this natural renewing of your mind. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, on that note, by the way, remember there's that iconic scene that happens where I don't even know what the seat is called. It helicopters its way down, right? Mm -hmm. And there's another scene that they do where they just watch leaves that are falling. And -hmm. I think what they're getting at is what you're saying there is, listen, you're in the ocean of life. Like, like live life and your job is just a part of that there is yeah. no soul career yeah it's it's just your career in the same way there's no soul mate there's just your mate it, your your soul mate is the one that you've chosen your your you know soul career is the career you've you've chosen like that doesn't need to necessitate you know what 
the kind of life you're going to have. You can still enjoy and live life mm-hmm. no matter what your career is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would maybe push back a little bit and say, maybe not push back, but maybe completing the thought because there is something to be said about your temperament, what you're good at and those kinds of things. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think you can be sort of paired up, if you will, with a career that is just not for you. Right. Um, This uh, leadership coach. That's a good, that's a good pushback, Steve. I I agree with you. Yeah. Keep keep going. Keep going. Uh, There's, there's this uh, leadership coach guy named Pat Lincioni that my wife loves to listen to. happens to be a Christian as well. Anyway, one of the things that he said that really stuck with me, well, I heard this through my wife, but what she reported was, he said, burnouts have less to do with the quantity of work that you're doing, but it has more to do with the quality of the work that you're doing. In other words, are you working within your strengths rather than... So for example, Andy is great um, at, you know, like, he's a he's a bit of an inventor, right? He comes up with new ideas. He has vision and things like that. Me, I'm more of an enabler. I'm, I'm a great kind of number two person. So I have no problem following where, and and so Andy and I work really well that way. Um, Having said that, I think there is a lot of truth to this idea of soul career, right? Um, Just as, yeah. A lot of truth in what way? um, There's a lot of truth about this idea of soul career, how it can be damaging. Because, I mean, you're married, I'm married, Troy, you're married as well. Let me ask you this really point blank. Did you have to work at your marriage? Yes. Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. And let me throw it back, though, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Here's something else that might, that might creep people out. I, I could have been married to somebody else and had a great marriage. Yep. Right. I, uh, yep. It, it's, it's just that here's that um, un- unrealistic expectation. If you believe in soulmates— the idea is when you marry a soulmate, you don't need to work at your marriage, right? Because you're just meant for one another. And so you you get into this mindset that marriage is something that you don't need to work at if you marry the right person. I just don't think that's true, no. right? And, and I think it's the same thing with careers, right? There are, I, I love what I do with Apologetics Canada, but there are moments where I'm just like, man, like I'm just, I, I just have to get through this today, right? Or, or something well, and like let's, that. And let's be real, Steve, you could do lots in Troy you you guys are both so incredibly talented I've I've only got apologize Canada but you guys <laughs> like yeah. you guys could do whatever like you guys are so talented you could do lots of different things and I think you could do a different career and still be fulfilled in it and really enjoy it so let, let me let's take this though as a moment to just really deep dive now into the philosophy mm-hmm. of this movie where where I would say it starts to go astray in that on the one hand, this movie is getting at a type of existentialism. Uh, perhaps we could call this New Age existentialism, uh, in that there uh, there is a character in the movie called Mood. Uh, sorry, Moon Wind. Uh, Moon Wind, yeah. <laughs> Moon Wind, which uh, is very much. Um, He's a New Age, right? Where he is the <laughs> captain of a ship in the astral plane, rescuing uh, souls, right? And you're you're 
you're very much getting into this kind of new age thinking. So I, I think I'm justified in calling this new age existentialism. But but the idea of existentialism is, if, if you're unfamiliar with that term or not sure how to define it, it's just basically this idea of what motivates you to exist. What what motivates you to live? What How are you finding meaning and, and purpose in all of this? So in many ways... I, I agree with the movie in that I do not hold to the idea that people have a purpose or this meaning such that, let me just clearly articulate this, such that you were born, Troy, with this one purpose that God has anointed you with, and your job on earth is to try to find that purpose and to fulfill it, and then you'll have that mountaintop, you know, euphoria where you're like, I've done it, right? Because as you ex- you as you experience with doing that concert where you're like, I thought that was going to be my mountaintop moment, it wasn't my mountaintop moment, that can put you into a midlife crisis or a young life crisis in your case, <laughs> at, right? And, and you could then begin to spend the rest of your life trying to find right that euphoric moment that purpose right that's going to fulfill you then can be completely lost and find yourself as a lost soul of, yeah. of maybe a different type however this is i think a, a challenge with the movie and a challenge with existentialism in general and that is that life does need to have an a foundational meaning a foundational purpose such that you don't lose all hope. That And so notice that this movie is quite interesting. In a very secular world in which you and I live in, they are promoting two things that's quite interesting that's a part of their existentialism. One is that there is a part of you that's beyond the physical, mm-hmm. that you have a soul. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, that there is a great beyond. Now, notice then that great beyond anchors your existence in this life because it is providing a level of foundational purpose from which you can live without falling into existential despair that everything is just pointless because instead of the great beyond, there is a great nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really interesting that you phrased it as new age existentialism because here is one of my many beefs with sort of this new age thinking because new age uh, in the West, we, we borrows a lot from Eastern philosophies, Mm. right? Like Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, reincarnation, karma, those kinds of things. Um, But what's really fascinating to me is, you know, for example, when they, this is not in the movie Soul, but in New Age thinking, often there's this idea of reincarnation, right? They look at it as a very positive thing because you get a second chance at life, a third chance at life. But you do realize that in Eastern philosophies where this idea comes from, the whole point is liberation from this world. This world is not where you want to be. The great nothing. Yeah, yeah. you want to escape to the great nothing. In the case of Buddhism, it's like, Heck, you don't even exist. Your your soul you is not a thing, right? Um, it's an it's an illusion. They it, hold that it's an illusion, right? Mm. And so uh, I find that New Age has this tendency of just cherry picking those things or or taking something and then putting a positive spin on it. And my question is, why? Why would you put a positive spin on it for you know on the basis of what? And so you know when you look at soul. You have this very pretty picture of life, 
uh, Joe finally kind of comes to the realization it's not about my career, but just being in the moment and living life. Right. And so you see that little seed that helicopters down onto your and then onto your hand. And then you see the leaves falling. You see people chatting over coffee and and those kinds of things. Um, And at the same time, I can't help but think of people who are in absolute destitution in the slums of Calcutta. And this, this is my point, Steve, on New Age existentialism is it's it's crafty. It's it's smart in that way that they're avoiding the trap of existentialism, uh, as is classically understood, and they're avoiding that by trying to anchor it into something beyond, the great beyond, right? That, yeah. that they're, they're trying to anchor it in something. So I appreciate that they're trying to anchor it, because I think it gives us, as Christians, a real opportunity to share the gospel, to point them to what the great beyond is. Because notice in the movie, they leave that as a big question mark. And and that question mark is, is played out in unique ways with 22, who has all these different counselors, soul counselors, right? Whether it be Mother Teresa, interesting, you should bring up Calcutta. Maybe that's yeah. why, so, you know, subconsciously brought up <laughs> Calcutta, you know, because Mother Teresa was one of 22's counselors. Now that's a religious one, but Abraham Lincoln, a political one. You have count, you have psychologists, you have, you know, different types of people that try to counsel 22 uh, uh, unsuccessfully. So I think that's, I think that's kind of interesting. And there's, there's a whole lot more we could go there. I just know this. I know that there's many people, wherever you are, that are encountering this new age kind of thinking. And I just want to encourage you. This is a great opportunity to have conversations about things that really matter. Like what's actually anchoring all of this? And where is that purpose ultimately found? This is why I'm a Christian. And one of the things that I have talked so much about about a greater purpose that's undergirding all of this, loving God, loving people. You know mm-hmm. that I'd like to spend the rest of our show just talking about that, <laughs> but I can't. I've got to, yeah. I'm have got. i getting off of my pony right now that I like to ride, uh, putting it into the stable. I, I, you know, one of the things I just think that we should end the show on here, because I would be upset if we don't, and you guys know that the, the philosopher in me just wants to come out. I've held him back long enough. Release uh, him. Release him. <laughs> currently being released i want to talk about philosophy of mind because i also i know there's people listening to this show going come on the movie's called soul uh, yeah, are we going to talk about the there. soul let's go there. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the soul as as we wrap this this thing up now what kind of a soul are we being presented with guys uh troy first you just want to kind of give us some idea of in in the movie Tell us a little bit about 22. So 22 is as basically is this being without a physical host. Um, I can, I can give you a, a, a cool synopsis, I guess, from just one of the descriptions they gave you. Um, 22 is the 22nd soul ever created is a, a precocious soul who has spent hundreds of years at the U seminar where the new souls must meet several requirements before going to earth. Like every soul before her, 22 has been through the personality pavilions, which explains her endearing sarcasm, quick wit, and occasional moodiness. She's met every requirement to go to earth except one. 
But no matter how many visits she makes to the Hall of Everything, no matter how many esteemed luminaries have mentioned have mentored her, she can't find the spark that she needs to fulfill her requirements and make her way to Earth. That's fine with 22. The truth is, she's not interested in life on Earth at all, at least at first. And so that's what you're, you're presented with at first, is that this soul gets to decide, that this soul has the knowledge and ability to decide whether or not she is going to be interested in something, which sets her apart from everyone else that's there. Now, Steve-O, mm-hmm. uh, coming back over to you, I'm going to let you unleash the philosopher uh, okay. what type of what type of philosophy of mind are we presented with with 22? It sounds to me like substance dualism. Uh, substance dualism is the idea that you have the the physical body that that you, whatever you are, is made up of two different substances, if you will. So you have the material, side of you, the physical body, but then there's also the immaterial self, which we call the soul, and that these two things are different. Like It's not just one giving rise to another. Like For example, some people say, well, your mind is just whatever your brain does, right? So the mind is not a thing on its own, but it it's just basically what happens when your brain does something. But substance dualism says, no, these are two distinct things. So let me jump in there and just just continue to provide a little bit of clarity there, because Steve jumped back and forth between soul and mind, first of all. Yeah, uh, I did. And so that's just an important distinction to understand that often when somebody's talking about the mind, that's what they mean is the soul. Now, in the Bible, it can be argued that there are different things being discussed, such as spirit and soul and mind. Uh, Now, that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) When we get into substance dualism, you know, again, don't get scared by that terminology. We're just dealing with substance, just two different types. Is a human being a mind and body, are those two one thing or are they different? Now, substance dualism says that they're two different things, that your mind and your body are two different things. This they is interact. Also called, yes, they interact, and we're going to get into that. But this, this also is referred to as Cartesian dualism. And the reason it's called Cartesian is just, just another way of saying Descartes. And it's just saying that dualism, or this way of separating a mind from a body and viewing them as two substances was an idea developed by Descartes. So when I say non-Cartesian substance dualism, the idea that I'm simply getting across is just the is just the importance that both the mind and the body are intertwined. That 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 you need both and they work together and this is clearly the way God has intended for us to be human and to experience life. Right, because Cartesian dualism, really, where Descartes went wrong was like they were almost these two separate identities, not just distinct, but like they almost had nothing to do with each other, almost, right? And so. Right, which led to a bunch of philosophical debates going, well, how does the mind and body interact? Yeah. Well, the, the Christian view is, is that they're intertwined, in fact. Now, listen, I know there's philosophers out there, they're listening to this. Listen, I, I wish I had time to get into that, and I would debate whether or not Descartes was even doing that. And you know I want to talk about it, but I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to do it. I'm not, we'll I'm like, give I'm, them a, a cutscenes version of this. Just <laughs> 10 minutes of Andy just ranting. <laughs> not going to do it. Okay, now one other thing. Just So first of all, you need to understand that in this movie, Soul, 
they are providing for you a Cartesian view of things that has interesting implications, and they even get into this in the movie, such as, first of all, 22 is given a number, not a name. I think that's interesting because mm. technically 22 is not a human. 22 is just a soul, a disembodied yeah. soul uh, to boot. And and I want to talk about that in just a second here. But notice as well that 22, at one point in talking with Joe, explains that she can't feel anything. She can't taste anything. She can't feel anything, right? They slaps them, and I don't feel that, right? Eat some pizza, and it just plops out, right? It's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting aspect of what it is to be a soul that raises serious questions about the the dualism that we're talking about here, and that's why Steve wanted to say they're connected, and that raises important questions. Well, how connected are they? And I, and I bring this point up just simply because I want to encourage Christians to be more thoughtful on this. I, I've, I've met too many Christians who haven't given this enough thought, and they're very quick to want to disembody the soul from... Uh, you know, the mind from the body, which I, I think that we need to be careful in doing that because they are distinct. And that, and so you'll often have this idea, and, and you've probably already seen where I'm going with this, that where some Christians really want to camp on this idea of a disembodied soul, or that you and I can be a disembodied soul, or at least if we were a disembodied soul, that it would be the same thing as we currently are. Well, I, I would just jump in there with Third John 1, where it says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may prosper and enjoy good health as your soul also prospers. And so mm -hmm. it's this, uh, there, there is a connection there. Mm -hmm. And so you have to connect the two when in just basic decisions that you make, understanding that this can impact my soul. So just, to, just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, in other words, you're saying that the two are connected. Yeah. The body connects with the mind, but the mind also connects with the body. Yes. Yeah. Steve. And, and this kind of sort of disembodied view of ourselves in Christianity is seen um, really, it, it really comes out in our view of what heaven and hell might be like, because a lot of Christians think that heaven is a place where our souls will be and and that's just the end our final state of being well scripturally speaking uh you know our final state is going to be very much an embodied state you know new heaven and new earth um and, and heaven will be a very physical place in fact it is shown in the resurrection, right? When Jesus came back, Luke goes out of his way to talk about, for example, that he's not a ghost, that he mm -hmm. is an embodied being. It's not that he spiritually rose from the dead, but he resurrected. He came back bodily. And so he shows up, by the way, through locked doors. So people might be thinking, wow, this must be a ghost. But one thing that he asks for is, do you guys have some food, right? So he sits down eating and, and Luke uh, reports Jesus is saying, well, can a ghost do that? Right? It's it's a rhetorical question, right? No, like here's Jesus eating. And he is the first fruit of that resurrection. That is our final fate. Destiny mm -hmm. is to be risen from the dead bodily. And we're going to have very much an embodied existence. 
It's that I can enjoy it, but my dependency isn't on it. It's as if, mm. you know, it's as things were intended, like within the garden, I would argue by implication that they could enjoy all the food there, but they didn't need it. It wasn't, it was, you know, it was literally the Lord was sustaining them. And so everything else was just a bonus. Like you get to enjoy food, but it's actually not what's keeping you alive. But No, I, I see what you're saying, Troy, because ultimately we're talking about what what is the foundational purpose that's that's holding all that together well it's their relationship with god yeah. right and it's from their relationship with god that they enjoy everything else and i i completely agree with you uh and but now think about this though and this gets back to what you're saying steve if you take in the garden scene we're saying then that god's plans for humanity hasn't changed the garden was an embodied existence yes and god's desire for us is is that embodied existence it's a but it's a right kind of bodied existence, not one that's been broken by sin, but one that's been redeemed by Christ. Again, I want to come back to that because it's just good for Christians to understand that yes, and and Troy has a great verse you read, you know, yes, we have this idea of a soul or a mind in Christianity, but we also have the idea of a body. Mm-hmm. And that these two are being reconciled to the way that they were they were meant to be, not disentangled. Because there's a lot of people, I think, that have this idea that, you know, our final resting place, as you were saying, Steve, is this disembodied existence. Uh, but but that that is not how the the Christian worldview, uh, that that's not the Christian worldview that's being communicated. It is very much a, a bodied existence and that, that our bodies are not bad things, but within a broken world, they are corrupted. It, it's, it's that, that renewal that needs to take place. Mm-hmm. I like how, you know, I think that's a great example, by the way, with the resurrection, that when, what we see in Jesus is walking, talking, eternal life. Yeah. We see what it was meant to be that that these when these things are renewed. Mm-hmm. If I could just end with this then on my philosophical discussion. <laughs> I was gonna say tirade, but it's not a tirade. Uh the the I because I just think this could be helpful for people that are curious to what sort of dualism do I hold to? So first of all, I I hold to a dualism, but I hold to a non-Cartesian substance dualism. So in other words, I don't hold to the idea of a disembodied soul, uh, although that could be possible. Just imagine what that would be, though. Very different from what I think a lot of people would imagine. Uh, You would need to close your eyes you know, plug your ears, turn off all of your senses. It's like you know. astral projection along, <laughs> yeah. that, along that road. Yeah, like some sort of dream state, you know, like that. that's what, that's what you're thinking about there. Uh, I, so I very much have this idea that it is a, a, a non-Cartesian substance dualism where, where it is the kind of mind-body that God uh, had in mind, no pun intended. Mm. Uh, lastly, I think it just is helpful to note that there is another type of dualism here that, that gets discussed a lot on, uh, in our culture, which is called property dualism. And 
property dualism particularly is is being discussed in our in our universities and it's interesting again circling back on this new age thinking property dualism has been getting incorporated more and more into a panpsychism that a very very much a new age kind of understanding of trying to under, to try to figure out okay what exactly is this whole mental thing and you have these different ideas that just to give you an idea of how this would work in the movie Soul, you have a soul that jumps to earth. That is substance dualism. The two are separate. The soul comes into the body and this connect, they're intertwined, if you will. Whereas as property dualism, though, is much more that it would be the other way around, that you have earth and bodies that develop, and as that body and brain develops, the mind emerges. It's an emergent property uh, or a supervenient property off of the brain. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see how the two different worldviews are seeing things. One seeing things from the mind perspective, one seeing things from the body perspective. Ultimately, we're saying that that it's 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 a mix of these two yeah. uh, ideas. Is there anything you want to add in that, guys? Like, did I did I explain that helpfully, or was that unhelpful? No, I think it was yeah. for me. It was good, and this is why I, you know, I'm like, man, we got to talk about this because uh, I love your, you know, the philosophical perspective, and I think there's a lot of people that I know, even within the Christian community. Maybe I'll pitch this question to you guys: that there was a natural hesitation. Uh, and I think it was a good natural hesitation with people watching this movie. But I think it, it a lot of times our hesitation with things like this is because we don't actually we haven't really looked at our understanding of the soul, the mind, the body, you know, the, the, the tripart beings that we are. And so there's a natural fear of, well, I don't want the world to teach me because God forbid <laughs> um, through the thought provoking questions or presentation I might veer off. And I think with what I would leave people with is, is Colossians 3, 3.15. I think it's really important and, and pertinent to this conversation. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Looking at all of what we have spoken about today, looking at the movie in its entirety, it's not about your what, it's about the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? I started as a soccer player. And if you had asked me years ago, that's what I felt I was born to do. And now I'm a, a recording artist. I'm a worship leader. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. I'm a podcast, podcast host. host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if people were asking me, well what, well, what is your calling? What have you been called to do? I'm like, it's the Great Commission. Mm. My, I have been commissioned to go into the world and tell people of all nations, creeds, um, backgrounds, lifestyles that Jesus Christ is Lord and is calling them to a repentance. He's calling them to a relationship with him. His death on the cross has given them an opportunity to, to walk in communion with him for the rest of their lives on this side and the other side of heaven. And that is, that's all I have. Th that's whatever I do. 
whatever it looks like on the surface, that is the foundation. And the foundation matters more than the paint on the building. Amen, brother. That reminds me of Colossians 1.28, where Paul says, as a minister of the gospel, that he presents Jesus like as he presents Jesus like that, that he uses all the strength he has that, that he might present everyone perfect in Christ. Again, that idea being he wants people to experience that purpose, what they were created for. But you're only going to experience that in Christ. And when you do have that relationship in Christ, boy, do you get a really experienced life. Then even leaves falling off the tree are infused with meaning. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this week's podcast. As always, we pray that you are challenged and encouraged. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the AC Podcast and all your preferred streaming platforms. And if something we said today resonates with you, please do not hesitate to send us a message. Interact with us on social media. We would absolutely love to hear from you. For those of you who were part of our AC Literary Expedition or heard about the last one and didn't get to be involved, good news. We are going to be having another one very, very soon in June. So please make sure that you're following us on all of our social media platforms as we will be giving you updates on the upcoming Literary Expedition then. Until then, as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.